welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our study through the series, the Gospel of Matthew, Savior King and His Kingdom. We're in the section of the Gospel referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, and it began with the Beatitudes, and then starting with verse 17, through the end of chapter 7, through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we are given a series of these uh, brief overviews of principles um, and so we're going to see this over and over again. We looked at four last week. We're going to look at three today, and they continue on through chapter six and seven. So these are principles by which we live our life. And a principle is something that is foundational to who you are. You know, a principle is something you believe and practice. It's something that people can look at and say, this is something that is real in their life. And the way that we see it laid out for us, it begins with something you know, the way that Jesus taught in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says, says things like, you have heard it said, which means that these are principles that they already knew. They already understood. They'd heard these things taught uh, where they were raised with them, their concepts that they understood and believed. And we all understand that because we have the same thing. We grew up hearing things and, and saying, this is how I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to live. This is a principle that I'm supposed to base my life on. Doesn't mean you did it. Doesn't mean you practiced it. I mean, I know there's two or three rebels in here that, you know, did everything the exact opposite of the way that, you know, their parents said, right? Two, okay, just one. Okay, just one. Okay, well, she's being honest, thank you. So, um, yeah, I, it, well, I'm gonna raise my hand too because I'm right there with you. Different story, but there's a story there. So we're gonna, we're gonna leave it at that. Um, and then, but when we see Jesus doing, then he expands or expounds upon or elaborates or amplifies this principle to often be something that his hearers would, would hear and say, oh, wait a minute, what are you talking about? This is not how I understood or how I've lived or how I practice these things. You know, one of those is um, back in his last week, we saw the, in Matthew 5.20, he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That would have been like, what? What do you mean? I can't be more righteous than a scribe or a Pharisee. They're the more, most righteous people in the, in the nation. All of these things, as we lay them out, and, and I, was, I was talking with Randy about this, every last one of these, I want to stop and talk for at least three hours about because there's so much in it that it often leaves us with more questions than we have answers to that, you're, that I'm going to answer today because I'm going to cover three of them today that I would like to take three weeks on. But... I made a different commitment, so we're going to do it the way that we committed to, right? 
Yes, pastor, yes, that's what we're doing. Okay, good. I know some of you would like me to take as long as I want and, you know, take forever. If that's the case, come to the Tuesday morning Bible study. That's how it works. All right, so first four principles we looked at were, number one, obey God's commands. That's the foundation. If we're not obeying God's commands, then none of the other principles will, will, make, will mean anything because if you're not obeying God, it doesn't, almost doesn't really matter what you're doing. It's not going to be right. And so you got to start with that. Uh, second principle, don't trust in your righteousness. The righteousness that we have, when he says, you know, be as righteous as the Pharisees, he's saying, okay, that your, your, your righteousness is not enough. You need the righteousness that is imputed to you by Christ himself through faith in him and his sacrifice. Third, have a high regard for life. We have to treat life as though it is precious because it is. All life is precious, and that applies to all facets of life. And so, again, each one of these things, you take the idea of high, a high regard to life, you can think of the obvious things like, like abortion or murder, which is kind of the, the two I touched on, but what about drugs and alcohol? You know, could we not, could we not extend that to say somebody who's, who's addicted or, you know, is abusing anything, including prescription medication, is not, is not regarding their life as they should. So all of these principles, if we, if we start to really embrace them, start to, to reach out and touch so many different areas of our life. Principle number four, have a high regard for marriage. Another one that I think is under um, emphasized within the church, the, the basic building block of every society is the family. And the basic building block of every family is marriage. And if we don't, if we don't give that a, the high regard that it deserves, our culture is going to, well, it's going to end up like ours, you know, ultimately. It's going to end up like the culture we're living in today because most people in our culture do not have a high regard for marriage. Not just our own marriages, but for the marriages of everyone around us as well. And, and that is part of the problem. But what, we're, what I want you to get out of these messages, I want you to, to recognize they're, they're not just pithy little statements. They're not just simple little concepts that we can, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, you know treat marriages with high regard. No, you allow that to, to reach out and touch more and more of your life. So we're gonna look at the next three this morning. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to get this. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this day. And I thank you, Lord, for your word and what you say to us in your word. And you teach us about these, these really important principles that if we understood them, they would manifest in our lives. That people should see us as principled people. That they know what our principles are because they see them in our lives. They may not appreciate it, they may not respect it, they may not approve of it, but they need to see it, Lord, as, as we learned earlier on that we are to be salt and light, and the way that they do that is by seeing these principles lived out in, every, in our everyday lives. And so I lift this time up to you, pray for your blessing over it as we are in Memorial Day weekend. Lord, I, I just want to, as has as already been said here, that, Lord, we take a moment and remember that, um, that there, there have been people in, um, in our nation who have paid the highest possible cost to make sure that we are free. And we should never forget that and never stop remembering and, and respecting the sacrifice that was made so that we could live in the country that we do. And so I ask, Lord God, for those that have suffered loss, 
um, that you would comfort them. And we thank you, Lord God, for, the, for how you've uh, ministered to us and through them uh, throughout our lives. And praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the principles that we hold to be true are what determine how we behave. They should be. I mean, it should be, people should be able to see what we hold as principles. It's the evidence of our principles. For example, a man who is unfaithful to his wife has, does not have a high regard for marriage, right? I mean, that, that should make sense. A, a, a person, shouldn't just say man, because it doesn't have to just be a man, but a, a, a person who lies has a, has a, does not have a high regard for truth. And we're living in a culture today where, you know, that's a sad reality, that most of our culture has a very low regard for truth. And it used to be that we could, you know, we could take what we hear and we could take it at face value and, 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 you know, and, you know, with few exceptions, we could, we could trust it. But now everything, literally everything we hear from almost every source, we have to, we have to filter it through the question, is it true? And I think, I think that's a huge warning for us. So many things we hear and if we're not careful, we'll default and accept it as truth when it, and very often it's not. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Less than a decade ago, we, heard, we very first started hearing the concept of fake news, where literally that we were being told lies by those that we were getting our information from. And unfortunately, you know, even though many doubted the, you know, the veracity of, of that of that use of that term, we've come to find out it, it was actually a lot more true than we thought. We can't always trust everything we hear. But you know, when it comes to believers, truth should never be a problem. There should never be a time where someone cannot trust us to tell the truth. Kingdom principle number five, speak and act with integrity. The world may have a problem with honesty and integrity, but God's people shouldn't. We shouldn't. Verse 33 of chapter 5. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, meaning this goes way, way back, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. The law of Moses allowed for the making of oaths. Um, and making them in God's name to say, you know, I swear by God, and then they'll say something. You know, that the statement I'm about to make is true, or I will do this or that thing, or I will not do this or that thing. And so it was a, it was a way of, of putting a stamp of truth to whatever it is that we might say. It was something you would do so that people believed that what you're saying was true, or that you would do what you said you were going to do. That's what, that's what the oath was all about. You would make an oath saying, I will do this. And by God's name, I will do this. And then, and then according to the law, you were required to actually do it. It was, it was frowned upon and could in fact be punished if you did not fulfill a vow or an oath. Problem, as with any law, we see it in our culture. We see it. It's been, it's, it's been the reality of history forever. You make a law, and before long, people are figuring out where the loopholes are, 
figuring out ways to, you know, okay, if, or if this situation happens, then yeah, then, you know, then get around it. And they started actually developing this hierarchy of oaths. So, so certain things you can make an oath by, and it was more binding than making it by this thing. And this, if that's more binding than doing it by this thing. And so they had this whole religious system of, of you know, when, when an oath had to be kept and when you could fudge and get away with not keeping an oath or a vow. What do you think that encourages? You start making it easy to, to not keep an oath, what happens? People start breaking their oaths, breaking their vows. Can we see this in marriage? I mean, people, are make, people stand in front of a minister or somebody else and make vows. They, they, they say these, these promises to one another in, in, the, in the presence of God and, and his minister and, and his people. They should keep those vows. For how long? Until death do us part is usually included in those vows. It encouraged lying. It encouraged people manipulating and, and people saying they were going to do things that they had no intention of doing because they, they, they deliberately made the vow based on a certain thing that they knew they can get away with breaking it. You know, yeah, I don't have to do it because I, I crossed my fingers when I was saying it. How many of us grew up with that, with that reality? You know, if I, if I cross my fingers and I don't have to actually do what I said, what is that? It's lying. Verse 34. But I say to you, you know, in the past you heard that, you know, you, you know you, if you make a vow, you have, to, you have to keep it. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Jesus is saying we shouldn't be making oaths as a way of proving that what we're saying is true or as a, as a way of proving that we will do what we say. We should just tell the truth, we should say what we mean, and we should do what we say. That's what he's saying. You don't, you don't have to make an oath. Yeah, you know, I, I swear by God that I'm going to do this. No, just say, I'm going to do it. And then what should you do? Do it. That's what he's saying. Tell them what you mean. Tell them the truth. Tell them what you mean. And then do it. You know, if we are honest and trustworthy, there is no need to swear an oath. There's no need to swear on a stack of Bibles that what we're saying is the truth or that we'll do what we say we're gonna do. Just do it. I mean, one of those examples, don't say you're gonna pray about something if you know you're not gonna do it. You know, I, you know sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll do that. You know, somebody will say, you know, can you do this or will you do that or blah, blah, blah. I said, well, I'll pray about it. You're not gonna pray about it. You know, you know, you know when you're talking to them, I'm not gonna do that. I don't wanna do that. And you know what? That's okay. But you know what you should say? No, I'm not gonna do that. I, I, for whatever reason, whatever it is, I know, I know me, I know me well enough, I'm not gonna do that. Either I don't want to, 
or I can't. You know, somebody said, you know, that they need me to do something, they want me to do something, and I know I can't do it. You know what I should say? I can't do that. I, I, I would have, you know, I would have to rearrange my schedule, prioritize things, and you know what? I, I just, I, don't, I can't do it. And just be honest. But, 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 Pastor, I really need you to. Well, go talk to Randy then. Have him do it. Yeah, one of the ways this might manifest on a, on a more you know, personal level is with Kelly and I. Yeah, she'll ask me sometimes if I want to do something that I really don't want to do, like going to a baby shower. <laughs> if she asks me, do you want to go to a baby shower for whoever, for whatever, and, and it doesn't really matter who, my answer is be no, I don't want to go. But I will if it is important to you for me to be there. I'm being honest. I don't want to go. Wait a minute, don't you love them? It has nothing to do with love. It has everything to do with just, I just can't stand them. (laughs) Sorry. I'm being honest. I, I don't want to do it. Now, if she were to ask me, will you go? My answer is going to be yes. Because now, she's a, first she asked me what my desire was, and I was honest. Now she's expressing her desire. If she says, will you go, she's expressing, I want you to go with me. Now, Kelly, we've been together long enough. She knows how I feel about baby showers. So if she says to me, will you go, I'm going to say, yes, yes, I will. And you know what? I'm going to be okay with it. I'm going, to be, I'm going to try to be not too much of a curmudgeon while I'm there. You know, we, need to, we need to be honest people. You know, we should never have to say at the end of anything or the beginning of anything, I promise. should never have to say that. If you have to say that for somebody to believe you, that's a problem. That's a problem either with you or with them. And if they force you to promise, then they're, then they're communicating something. They're not sure they can trust you. And, and that's something that we might need, have to work out. But we as people, we should never be, feel like, feel like I, have to, I have to say that so that they will believe me. Now, you, you, need, to, you need to try to be faithful always so that you don't have to. Say what you're going to do or not do, you know, and then do it. If I'm going to do it, say you're going to do it. If you're not going to do it, say you're not going to do it. Be faithful to your word. And if you say you're going to do something and then you, you can't, what should you do? Confess, repent, and try again. Yeah, because there's times. You know, there's times we make commitments. You know, there's a couple of, there's a, at least one letter in Paul, that Paul wrote where he was supposed to go somewhere. He said he was going to go somewhere. Then he couldn't get there. And so people thought, well, you're not being faithful. And you know, stuff happens in life, right? Where we say we're going to do something and then we can't do it. Well, then communicate with people. Tell them. Be honest. And he says if you don't, if, if you have to, if you have to, you know, to, you know, swear by something, you have to, I promise, I promise, you know, however you might say that, you know, then he's, you know, Jesus said that's from the evil one. That's not from God. And that we ought to be speaking in a way that draws people into his presence. 
Listen, the people of God ought to be the most trustworthy people on earth. Why? Because our God is trustworthy. Our God always tells us what he means, right? He never, he never, you know, fudges. He never says something he's not going to do. Like you know, if somebody says to me, you know, Pastor, I, I, I need you to pray for my nephews, boyfriends, uncles, best friends, dog. I say, let's do that right now because I promise you I am not going to remember that. I won't remember the, the details. Let's pray about that right now. People don't do that normally. But, but the reality is, 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 for me personally, there's so many things come at me. You know, in, in the course of a Sunday, I'll have 10 different things. People say, Pastor, would you pray about this for me? I'll get to the end of Sunday. I can't remember who wanted what, right? I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. You know, if you, if you flood my brain, I have this, you know, this illustration of the iceberg, you know, my brain is an iceberg, and, and it's got, and everything I have to remember is a penguin. If you, put one, if you put one penguin in on, another one falls off. There's only so much room on the iceberg for the penguins. And so if you send 10, 10 penguins on, you know, yeah, I don't know how many of them are going to make it, you know, because only seven of them will fit. If you want me to remember something, what, what do I say to people when, I, when they want me to remember something? Email me. If you want me to remember something, email me. If you want, to, you want me to pray about something, email me. I love to pray for God's people, but I can't always remember all the details. You know, in that scenario, I'd remember, oh, somebody, somebody's dog. That's, a, that's, a, that's as close as I might get to remembering a prayer like that. I just, I, I know, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tell, and I'll tell you that. If you tell me something you want to remember, I'm gonna tell you. If you want to remember that, you need to email me. And I'm not, being, I'm not being mean. I'm not being, you know, disrespectful. I just literally, so much comes at me on a Sunday morning. I just can't remember it all unless I write it down or you, you send it to me. And I, I can't always write it down when you're here. So just saying that. I'm being honest. That's what I am. Amen. Okay, so kingdom principle number six. This is a hard one. Respond to evil with good. Respond to evil with good. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is an ancient law, one of the oldest laws in the world. There is a record of it on the, the Hammurabi, um, the Code of Hammurabi, which dates back to 2,300 years before Christ, this, this law is found. So it's ancient. And the concept of it is, 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 is intended to limit vengeance. That when somebody does harm to someone, that it was meant to put a limit on how much vengeance could be you know, inflicted against the other person. So if somebody you know, gouged out your eye, then the, the, the limit that you could do in vengeance was gouge out their eye. Okay, a bunch of one-eyed people running around after a while. And so, and so there was a, you know, this idea to limit it because the reality, we've heard of these situations where one person you know, causes some, 
offense against one group and the other group responds, you know, exponentially and then the other group responds even bigger before long you've got a war going on that, you know, is consuming both groups. And, and so, the, so that's what this law was meant to limit so that should something bad happen, there was, just, there was, a, there was a boundary that you could actually have vengeance and not go too far. And vengeance is found in the earliest pages of the Bible. Genesis chapter 4, um, Lamech you know, claimed the right of 77 times vengeance on someone who, who sinned against, who harmed him. He could, you know, they could, he could take 77 times vengeance. It's not biblical. There's nothing, nothing godly in that particular section of the, of the chapter. But the idea was vengeance is old. It's ancient and, and has gone on since humans fell from grace. So, an eye for an eye was an accepted rule of vengeance, accepted by many cultures. And, but the Bible is not silent on the fact that God had ultimately a, a, a grander and a broader vision of this idea of response, responding to those who harm you. In Leviticus 19.18, it says this, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, so what, the, what he's saying here is that vengeance wasn't even allowed for the Jewish people against other Jews. So if a Jew did something to you, vengeance wasn't allowed uh, against them. Jesus is going to expand upon that, and that thought. Verse 39, but I tell you, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go two with him. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So Jesus gives an entirely new ethic, and there's, there's a lot of detail in all of these little incremental things, but we don't really have time to get into all of them. But again, the, the context or the concept behind it is the idea of limiting of vengeance. So when somebody does something to you that, that is wrong, that is harmful, that is evil, that is whatever, then, then, then there's a, there was a limit to how, much you, how, how you could respond to that. And Jesus said, no, there's, there's a whole new idea, a whole new ethic of how we respond to the evil that's done to us. Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 because uh, Paul talks about this topic as well and helps to elaborate it for us. And so an eye for an eye is meant to limit retaliation, um, and, and it was meant to, it meant to limit the retaliation of Jews, and, and the Jews knew they couldn't do it with their own people, but they, were, they could do it with others. And so, and so Jesus takes it beyond that for those who are believers in him. Romans 12, in verse where am I? 17, sorry. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Jesus, then, then reiterated here by Paul, the idea is that our response to evil must be good. Must be good. Is that easy? No. When we experience evil, we want to retaliate. Now, now we, we typically, you know, we're thinking of people doing really bad, horrible things to us. But hey, what if just somebody just gives you a cross look? You know, somebody, you know somebody's rude to you at the checkout counter. I'll be rude right back. And I'll ante up a little bit. I'll give a little extra rudeness there. Nope. Do good. Do good in that situation. That is an unnatural response to evil. It's unnatural. The natural man does not want to do that. The natural person wants to respond in kind. It's the, I mean, it's, I mean, how many of us grew up, you know, believing that if somebody hits me, I can hit them back. I learned very quickly that it didn't apply to my sister's. They could hit me, and, and a lot of times get away with it. But if I, if I raised a hand to them, ooh, no, 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 no. Boys do not hit girls. Back then, we actually knew the difference between boys and girls, so it was, it was easier. <laughs> Retaliation or vengeance should never be a consideration in the heart of a Christian. I, and, I, and I'm telling you, that's not easy. That's hard because our natural response is to retaliate. Our and, it, and it doesn't have, again, it could be very small things. We just want to retaliate. We think, we think we have a right to it. We believe an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, and, and the world would probably go along with you. But the problem is Jesus said something else. Jesus said return evil with good. When somebody does something evil to you, that, that checkout person is rude to you, what should you do? Be nice. Be courteous. Be kind. Is that easy? Nope. It is for some. Turn back to Matthew 5. And, and, and understand, all these principles, especially some of these ones we're looking at today, are very complicated. You're not going to make one rule fits all on how to return good for evil. Every one, you have to, you have to, you have to take it and consider it based on, on how you're relating to those people and what you're doing with them. You know, sometimes, you know, the way you respond to an evil and rude checkout person is you just move on. Just ignore it and move on. But part of doing good there is you don't let that you don't let that take up any room in your heart. The idea of releasing that, okay, that person was rude, okay, you know what? I don't know what's going on with them, and I'm just gonna let that go. I'm gonna enjoy my, you know, my cheeseburger and seasoned fries and strawberry shake. I'm getting hungry. What, what is for lunch? Doing evil, or do, excuse me, doing good in an evil word, it's not simple. It's very complicated. And that's why we need to be so connected to God, connected to his word, connected to his people, because some of these complicated issues that come up, come up in life, we're gonna need help with, because it's just not gonna be easy to navigate our way through it. It's not something we can create a rule for. 
Trust in God, let the Holy Spirit lead. I and mean, that, that's really the key in, in all of these principles is letting the Holy Spirit you know, fill you with the principle and then guide you through how to do it. And then be around people who are trying to do it too because you can learn from other people's examples. You know, how did, they, how did you handle that? You know, you know like the, you know, what I shared about how I, how I respond to Kelly's questions. You know, oh, I never thought of saying it that way. Okay, well, there you go. You just learned something. Write it down. Don't forget it because I know there's only so many penguins that can fit on the iceberg, right? Principle number seven. Yeah, somebody didn't, some of you are not getting that one. I'll draw a picture later on for it. Number seven, love everyone. Love everyone. Wait a minute. That's not possible. Okay, I'll trust you. Verse 43, you have heard it, sa- it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So according to Jew- Jewish tradition, there, you were permitted to hate your enemies. Now, now, an enemy couldn't be another Jew. There was a, there was a boundary there, and, and some, would, some, would, some figured out ways of getting around that particular concept. But if somebody wasn't a Jew, it was wide open. You can hate them all you want. You could hate them, you could abuse them, you could do anything you wanted if they weren't a Jew. They, they read it that way. That's not what the law said, but that's how they interpreted it. And so they, they allowed, you know, if it was a Gentile, that, that there was no, really no holds barred for some of them. Jesus throws that thought right out the window. But I say to you, love your enemies. Now, when we say love your enemies... What that means is that, because we know, you know, friends and neighbors and family, we got that. Okay, we can understand that, you know, we're called to love them, but then who are enemies? And, and the easiest way to understand it is everyone else. You know, we, we know the people we ought to love, and the enemies is everybody else. Everybody, you know, between the stranger and the, somebody I'll never really even get to know their name, all the way to the person that absolutely hates me. Everyone in between. Love them. Every last one of them. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your neighbor, your brethren, only what good do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus is basing on his call on, on you know, to love. Um, he's using that, and the base of that is the perfection of God's love. Who does God love? Everyone. Everyone. Now, he expresses that love differently between peoples, but he loves everyone. You know, John three sixteen. God so loved the world. How much of it? All of it. He came to save, Jesus came to save everyone because God loves everyone. And so what Jesus is saying here, okay, you, in the past, this is what you heard, this is what you believe, this is what you did, but I'm telling you, the way it's supposed to be, Jesus being the fulfillment of the law, the completion of the law, saying this is how it should be in the kingdom of God. In my kingdom, this is how it should be. First John tells us that God is love. And as, as a God of love, he loves his creation, all of it. 
He goes on to say, if we treat others the same way that we treat, they treat us, then we're no different than unbelievers. We're no, we're no different than the corrupt tax collectors. We're no different than the, the, you know, the gangbangers and the, and the mafia guys. We're no different than them. If we're treating, our, if we're treating you know, others the same way they treat us, we're no better than them. God's calling us to something higher and better. In the same way that we're, we're called to do good to those who do evil, we're called to love who hate. Those who hate, we're called to love them. Again, that's not easy. Because we're living in a world where hate, you know, you know, just like truth is hard to find, hate is not. Hate is very common. You disagree with somebody about something, and you'll find hate quick. So how do we do it? How do we, how do we love our enemies? First, it's we have to change the way we view them. We have to stop seeing them through our eyes. We have to see them through God's eyes. God loves them. Even though they may be wicked and evil and terrible, God loves them. And he calls us to love them too. Now, it doesn't mean we love them the same way that we love. You know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not gonna love my enemy the same way that I love Kelly. She's special. She's gonna get a special part of my love, special kind of my love but we're called to find out how do I love this person who hates me? You know, we deal with this often when, you know, when I'm ministering to people. People are saying, you know, I'm in this situation and it, it's really dysfunctional the way that it's working and, and I can't seem to influence them toward Christ. So what do I do? Okay, there's only one thing left. Love them. We just love them. Well, how do I do that? Well, I can't actually answer that question for you because it'll determine the situation, the situation, but you have to be seeking God and asking him to tell you, how do I love this person? It's got to begin in your heart. You got to say in my heart, God, I want to love this person because if they're actually an enemy, that's not going to be easy, right? We're not going to want to love them, but through force of will, we can choose to. And sometimes we can do acts of love before we feel love. But God, God would ultimately call us to the place where we love. We truly feel God's love for them. It's not my love. I don't have love for them. If they're an enemy to me, I don't have any love for them. But I might have God's love for them. And that's what God wants me to operate in. Romans 5.5 5 says that God's poured his love into our hearts. How much of it? All of it. All of God's love is in us. So how much of it can I give away? All of it. All of it. How do you do that? Seek God. Know what his word says and then, and then find it. You know, this becomes really difficult when they're, <clears throat> we, we've all been around people who are users. They just will use you for whatever they want you know, whatever they need. They're gonna try to get something out of you, whatever it might be. It's hard to love them. Because if you love them, if you give, what do they want? More. And if you give more, what do they want? More. And they're going to keep wanting more and more and more. And so you have to, you have to seek God and be sense of the Holy Spirit to know, okay, is giving more actually loving them? Is there a place where stop giving them is actually loving them? And, and so, you know, we, again, somebody say, when, when do I do that, Pastor? I don't know. I don't know. You have to seek God. 
But you have to be willing. Again, going back to the very first one, be a person of integrity. Know, okay, my, my spirit is telling me it's no longer good for me to help you like this. I'm going to stop. But you don't understand. You hate me. You blah. No, no, no. I fully understand. I don't hate you. I love you. But loving you, I can't keep doing what I've been doing. Right? To see them as someone God loves. See them as someone that God desires to do good toward. You know, God put us in their lives. If they're, if they're around us, if their life is touching our life, God put them there. And he put them there for a reason. Either, either for us or for them. Probably both. And we have to understand that. When God puts us there, that he's, he's trying to do something either in us, through us, or with them, and we have to be sensitive to what God might want to do there. God has a purpose. He put them in your life. And, and whatever that purpose is, it's good, even when it feels terrible. Jesus closes this chapter with verse 48, which is something that might be really hard to accept. Verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, now we have to be careful not to translate this as a, as a, a call to moralistic perfectionism that you have to be morally perfect. Do you know why it's not that? Because you are not capable of accomplishing that. No one is. It would drive you absolutely insane trying to be perfect in that way, or it would drive you to despair because you can't do it. The word perfect has the sense of, of fulfillment or completion. It's a call to abandon your ideas of perfect, to let your ideas of perfect just evaporate and focus all of your will, all of your desires, all of your intentions, all of your actions on God's will because God's will is perfect. And so if I can focus all of me on God's will, then I'm gonna approach perfection. I'm not gonna achieve it in and of myself, but that's my goal. My goal is perfection. My goal is to strive perfection, keep going until I achieve it. If I don't, I don't, but I'm gonna keep moving in that direction. But it's about abandoning my will for his will. And Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. That's what our desire must be. That phrase, shall be, it's interesting because it's in, it's in the future tense. You shall be. In the future, you shall be perfect. And it will as we grow closer and closer to him, it will be more perfected day by day as we grow closer and closer to the image of Jesus Christ. And then ultimately, when we go to be with him, we will be perfect. Somebody say, hallelujah. Today, today would be okay, but after lunch. Yeah. Kidding, kidding. <clears throat> you know, there, there, is, there is so much more that could be said about each of these principles and again, it's my goal in this to understand. You know, I can't cover every scenario. I can't cover every situation. And there, and there will be it, it, just so many questions. I, I literally can think of just scenario after scenario after scenario. I say, what, what, about, what about this? How does that apply in this situation? And very often the answer, if you ask me, the answer is going to be, I don't know. 
I can tell you maybe what God's word says along the lines of that, but how you do it in your situation is gonna be something you work out with God and you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you so that you can accomplish whatever it is God's calling you to do. You know, how do you be a person of integrity? How do you do that in a way that doesn't create division and, and, and conflict? You know, it just, you know, I thought of, you know, my daughter. I, just a little, quick little aside, I love long hair on women. It's just something that's just my, one of my preferences. It means it's not, there's not a biblical basis behind it. Yeah, I, it's just one of my preferences. So when my daughter was growing up, she, of all of our children, she had the best hair. I mean, she had this, I mean, we all have thin hair. She's got this full, thick hair, and I loved her hair. And so when it was long, I just thought it was just so glorious, and she wanted to cut it off. And she said, well, what do you think? I, I think I hate it. I hate the idea of it. And then at one point when she got older, she did it. She cut her hair off. She bobbed it. What do you think, Daddy? I hate it. I love her. I love her like, like to, I mean, I love her like crazy. She's precious to me. But I was being honest. I don't like it. To this day, she still likes to bob it. You know what she doesn't do anymore? What do you think of my hair, Daddy? She knows, she knows. It's, it's something, it's just, I'm being honest with her. And I'm not trying to be mean or hurtful, anything like that. It's just my preference. If you're gonna ask me what I think, I'm gonna tell you what I think, right? Is that not the right thing to do? You know, you know what do you think about purple hair? I think it's actually kind of cool. I, I think I like it. So, okay, go ahead, go for it. If you're my daughter, I might have some other, you know, some other conversations, but that's different. But, you know, the, I'm, I just, if, you, I mean, if you ask me something, listen, this is how we ought to be as people, too. If you ask us our opinion on something, you better be ready for the truth. And if you're not ready for the truth, don't ask. If you're not willing to accept any truth that, because like I said, if you ask my opinion on something, and my opinion doesn't align with yours, and then you're offended, I mean, what do you want me to do? change my opinion because it offends you? You know, pastor, pastor, you know, doesn't, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. Just, I'm not going to make too many things up here. But the reality is we've got to be people that just accept others as themselves. And, and if you're going to be honest, if you're going to say something, you're going to ask something, be honest. Be people of integrity. Respond to evil with good. Gosh, this is so important to us. There is... We are in an evil age, an evil day. Evil is all around us. It is being promoted as good. It is being, it is being glorified. You know, you know, sadly, we're about to go into, um, I was trying to think of something less than politically correct, and I'm just going to leave it alone. Um, you know, this next month, you know, it's not a good thing. The things they're going to celebrate and the way they're celebrating it, they're just horrible things that they're talking about doing. Things that should never be done publicly, at, if at all. How do we respond to some of that stuff? Somebody says, hey, you want to go, you want to, go to a Dodger game and see this horrible group that's going to be there? Uh, no. Not only do I not want to go, I don't think you should go either. Let's go to a movie instead. No, I don't know if that's even a good idea. Let's go, let's go out to dinner instead. I don't know. Respond to evil with good. 
What is the good that we can do? And again, it's about being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, trusting God, knowing his word, and knowing that there are certain things that are evil and we need to stand up against them. You know, we, we, you, you, know you can do that in a good way. And that's what God's calling us to do. Not responding with evil because the whole eye for an eye thing, you know, it was allowing a certain level of evil in response to evil. You know, you could do as much evil to someone as they did to you. As believers, how much evil should we be doing? Zero, no evil. Though the, though the law might allow for it, doesn't mean you should do it. And then the seventh principle, love everyone. There is a way to love everyone. May not be easy to find, may not be easy to understand, but there is a way to do it, even those who act like an enemy. Again, if you're anything like me, a message like this will leave you with more questions than it, than it answers. But it should get us thinking and praying about my understanding of each of these principles. And as I look at my own heart and life, how do I see these principles manifesting? You know, do I, do I typically respond to evil with evil? You know, is that my typical response? If so, what do I need to change in me? If, you know, if, if I'm you know, accustomed to, you know, maybe, you know, kind of leaning toward the whole white lie thing on things, if that's part of my character or nature, okay, maybe, maybe I need to make an adjustment there. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Trust him. Grow in your knowledge and understanding of what his word says. Trust the Holy Spirit to lead you. And these principles will start to manifest more perfectly in your life as you move forward. And people will see God. That's how they're going to see God when you're living out. These, these become your principles. Like I said, if you're going to ask me my opinion on something, be ready for my opinion. And whether you, whether you agree with it or not, we know that, you know, if I, if I respond to you, because I might say, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to respond to that, you know, for whatever reason. I don't want you to throw things at me. If you get stuck, which you might, reach out. Talk to somebody. That's why the church exists. When we find ourselves in a place where things are going on, I don't know, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to respond to this. Well, reach out. I know, you know, that's why, that's why we want you to be connected, really, truly connected with people. You can connect with us. You can connect with, you know, Kelly and I or Pastor Randy and Debbie, anyone. Be connected to somebody in the church so that you can reach out and say, hey, I'm stuck. I need help. You know, this happened to me, and I want, I want to, you know, launch a nuke over at them. You know, you know, you know nuke them till they glow and then shoot them in the dark. That's, you know, my philosophy. It used to be my philosophy. But, you know, the, you know, but, you know maybe there's a better way. But I, I can't see it. Well, maybe somebody else can. Trust God. Reach out. God's people are people of principles, kingdom principles. I'm going to pray, and then David is going to come up and lead us in one last song. Kelly and I will be up here to pray. Randy, Pastor Randy and Debbie will be in the back. And, and if any of these things, if there's any of these things that, like, okay, I, I'm not sure where I stand on these. I'm not sure how I feel about these things. I'm not sure. And maybe I, got, I have one of these scenarios real and, and, and big in my life right now. You know, I'm struggling maybe to be honest. I'm struggling maybe to be a person of integrity. I'm, I'm struggling to deal with, you know, the evil around me. I'm struggling to love someone. Whatever it might be, then, you know, let us pray. And then, 
just so you know, after the service, we'll be praying. And so if, we, if you'd like to join us in prayer, we'd love to have everybody. We'd love the whole church to stay, but, you know, we understand. People have other stuff to do, like lunch. I, I get it. I, I really get it right now. But if, if we can pray, let us pray with you. If you'd like to stay, we'd love to have you praying with us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time and ask as we leave this place, Lord, there's some heavy stuff here this morning as this idea of being people of integrity and saying what we mean and meaning what we say, that when we, when we say something, we mean it, and if we say we're going to do something, we do it. That, 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 that's what a person of integrity does. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we know that you are absolutely trustworthy, and so as believers, we should be trustworthy too. And wherever that lands in our hearts, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to know, Lord God, that you're, that you're there to help us through all of these things. And Lord, if we're, if, we're, if we're having a trouble responding to evil with good, that's, that's not unusual. That's pretty common because our, our natural self wants to respond with vengeance. But Paul said, reminds us that, Lord, vengeance is your responsibility. And of all the people in the universe, you are the one best equipped to do it and to do it right. And so we leave that in your hands. But Lord, we need to know how, how should we live in this evil world? How do we do good in this evil world? And so I pray, minister to our hearts with that. And Lord, you call us to love. We call us to love everyone, including our enemies. And so if there's any, any struggle for us to love someone, uh, we know, we know there are unlo unlovable people around us. But Lord, there is no such thing as unlovable person in your heart. And so you would call us to have that your heart as well and to love the unlovable. And so I pray, Lord, that you would minister to each of our hearts. And there's someone here who doesn't know you, um, that these principles are foreign to them, that, Lord, you would minister to their heart and bring them into that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they might be one of your children and to know that they can live a better way. Thank you, Lord, for this day. We pray for your blessing over it, and we lift it all up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.